Appreciate it. I will uh, continue the sitting theme, <laughs> as I always like to do when I'm speaking this morning. Um, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for a time to worship you, um, a time of rest, a time of reflection, but also a time of challenge and a time of commitment. We pray, Lord, that our ears would be open, our hearts would be ready to receive what you have to give to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> these, w- these days, words like freedom and love are thrown about pretty easily, right? The whole British independence thing is uh, really kind of fascinating to me. Uh, it's ironic that the same week, the same week that some of, the, some of Britain is celebrating their independence from the EU, we celebrate our independence from Britain. Um, there's quite a bit of talk in the aftermath of Brexit about wanting to exit the Brexit, uh, about wanting to go back to the status quo because people are afraid of what's, what's going to happen. I don't think the promoters of the Leave campaign fully thought through the ramifications of their idea before foisting it upon the British people. All that to say that our words are very important, right? Our words are very important. We can't just say we're going to do something, we're going to do this or that, as even some of our own political candidates have been doing recently. We have to back it up with some sort of solid path, with some practical action that shows not only our, t- our intent, but our commitment to live out those words. It's very much like a marriage vow, right? You know, you recite those beautiful thoughts and ideas about how you found your soulmate, and you want to spend the rest of your lives exploring the world together and promising to love and cherish one another, and, and suddenly they become a great challenge when you find out that he leaves his dirty underwear on the bathroom floor right next to the hamper instead of putting them inside of the hamper. Or when you find out that this soft-spoken, gentle woman snores like a hurricane when she sleeps at night and that she sleeps like a rock and she can't be woken even under the most dire circumstances. And by the way, both of which do not apply to my and Priscilla's marriage. But our words must have some weight to them, right? They must mean something. Otherwise, as the old saying goes, they aren't worth the paper that they're printed on or the air that they're spoken through. And so it is true with our faith as well. It's all well and good to say that we believe in Jesus and that we're Christians, that we believe the Bible, but unless these words are followed up by some clear idea of what that means, unless we live our lives in a consistent manner, in a long obedience in the same and sometimes difficult direction, our words fall fall meaningless, especially in the world we live in. And it's an anxiety-ridden world today, isn't it? You know, when a tradition-filled, self-controlled, proudly polite culture like the one found in Great Britain comes unglued at the seams, you know that there's some great anxiety all around the world today. So what does that mean for you and me? America has its own fair fair share of anxiety-producing news and possibilities. This may be a year of great turmoil and upheaval, and we've only reached the halfway point. 
all the more reason to double down on our desire to abide, to simply live, to rest, to remain in the love of Christ. How can we do that in a world filled with hate, with violence, with selfishness, and with anger? Well, we need to ask ourselves a few questions. We need to ask ourselves a few questions. And the first one is this. Are you abiding and obeying? Are you abiding and obeying? First John chapter 5, and we are reaching the, the sort of the final finality of our series through uh, the letter of First John. This is chapter 5. This is the last, um, last chapter. And so this week and next week we'll be finishing up uh, this series. But 1 John chapter 5 tells us, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this, love, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Are you obeying? Are you obeying? If yes, then most likely you are abiding. John says that this is how we know we love the children of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ, by loving God and carrying out his commands. What does that look like? What does loving God and loving our brothers and sisters look like? Um, can you share with one another some real practical ways that you can love another? Like, you know, praying for one another, sharing your own concerns with one another, taking meals or giving rides or visiting the sick or sending a thought or a card to someone who needs encouragement or studying scripture together. These are all great ways that we can show our love to our brothers and sisters. Do you know, do you know what people want these days? Do you know? You know that if you watch documentaries about why young people joined the ISIS movements, one of the things that come out is that this is a place where they feel like they can belong to something. They feel like they can belong, that they can contribute. We also want to feel like we are loved and that we belong. And God's command to us is that we love one another. That's his command. That's what he wants us to obey. Doesn't it make sense that if we express that, not only, when we, not only are we obeying God's command for us, but we're fulfilling his desire and his will for us, but we also will attract people who need the same love and acceptance. I, I really don't understand the recent endorsement of some very prominent evangelical Christian leaders for the current Republican presidential candidate, the presumptive Republican presidential candidate. I don't hear very much coming from that camp that sounds even remotely Christ-centered. But of course, that's another message, and that's a different discussion. But whatever your views on immigration or the economy or terrorism, the one command that we are that we are called to obey, what defines us as a faith community is to love one another and to love our neighbor. And John reminds us that 
These commands are not burdensome. This command is not a burden. They're not a burden on our soul, and they, and, and they shouldn't be. Why? Why? Because we're loved. We love because God first loved us. Jesus told us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. His burden is light because he shares that burden with us. He doesn't ask us to take any burden that he, doesn't, that he isn't right there alongside us, carrying the same burden. Do you have a burden for your family, for a friend or a coworker, for your next-door neighbor or a friend from school? Jesus knows that burden, and he's carrying it with you. That's why John tells us in verse 4 that we can overcome the world. So the que- second question is, are you victorious or are you defeated? Are you victorious or are you defeated? Verse 4, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. What are the greatest issues that face us today? I've already mentioned a few of them. But what are the issues that face you in your life today? I want you to take a moment and turn to the person sitting next to you or sitting in front of you and just share a little bit about what are some of the biggest issues that face you today, the burdens that face you. Go ahead, take a few moments to do that. Okay, what are, what, are some, what are some things that you face that are a great burden to you? How about somebody over here from the, from the young folks? Anybody? Just shout it out. I won't even, I won't even look at you. <laughs> no? Okay. Anybody else? What's a burden that faces you, or? That faces the world. Say it. People. 
spiritual warfare. Sometimes people are spiritual warfare. School. I hear school. Yes, I hear you. Anything else? Getting older. older. (laughs) Global warming. Global warming. Victory and defeat are two words that we will hear much of in the days to come. Not only as we face a presidential election year, the Summer Olympics, the war against terror. You know, in, in Scripture you will find in Psalms people who understood and lived with these words day by day, victory and defeat. The psalmist King David is partic- in particular knew what it was like to experience the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. But if you read the Psalms, you will find someone who faces defeat head on. But even in defeat knows that God in his infinite wisdom will be the one who overcomes. In the Psalms, you will find great comfort and reassurance of God's redeeming power. Cancer is a very scary word, isn't it? But we face something like cancer But if we face something like cancer with fear and trepidation, we can, in a sense, waste our cancer. Pastor and theologian John Piper wrote, Don't waste your cancer in 2006, when he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. In it, he has ten points, ten ways that we can waste our cancer. Things like thinking of it as a curse instead of a gift or focusing on the cancer and not on God, or withdrawing from people instead of deepening your relationships. It's his 10th point that really hit home with me. In it, he writes, number 10, you will waste your cancer if you fail to use it as a means of witness to the truth and glory of Christ. Christians are never anywhere by divine accident. There are reasons why we wind up where we do. Consider what Jesus said about painful, unplanned circumstances. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So it is with cancer. This will be an opportunity to bear witness. Christ is infinitely worthy. Here is a golden opportunity to show what he is worth more than life. Don't waste it. The Apostle Paul takes this to a whole new level in Romans 8. He says, No, in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does an overcomer look like? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Why does what we believe impact our victory or defeat? How does our faith overcome the world? And what is it that we must do to overcome? Pray. Pray. And believe. Only believe. So the third question is this. Do you believe in the testimony of the risen Christ? Do you believe in the testimony of the risen Christ? 
John says this. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Sorry. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony of God, the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, John says here that Jesus came by water and blood. What does John mean by this? You might be asking yourself. I ask myself the same question. I believe if we focus on the context of what John is writing about, then it becomes a bit clearer. John is wanting us to understand the validity of Jesus' claim to being the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one the one sent by God. He wants us to accept that. So the reference to the water and the blood are actually referring to the two places that Jesus was clearly identified by God the Father as his blessed Son. The water refers to his baptism, the beginning of his ministry, and the blood refers to the crucifixion, the completion point of his ministry. Remember, at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and descended upon Christ. And the voice of the Father spoke, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And at the cross, before Jesus breathed his last, Jesus spoke, It is finished. These two points of time speak to Jesus' testimony as the Son of God. The water, his baptism, and the blood, his crucifixion. And then thirdly, the Spirit speaks the truth about Jesus' identity and his role. But not only that, also his authority. His authority as the Son of God. Not only in our faith, but in all of our lives. The water and the blood and the Spirit all testify to the truth about who Jesus is. Now John says that we accept a human testimony. Right? In court, we accept human testimony. But God's testimony is greater. Well, and why? Well, because he's God. You don't question God if you know it's good for you. So why is it important that we believe in the testimony of Christ? Isn't it a testimony just words? Isn't it just words? Like freedom and like love and like commitment? Well, as we noted in the beginning, our words hold meaning. Our words are important. What we believe governs our heart and therefore our actions. What we, what we believe is vitally important to who we are and to what we do. We could say that we love God, but unless we believe in God, our actions won't reflect 
that belief. Now, what did Jesus do to demonstrate his love for us? He shed his blood. Why is it important that that blood is shed? Well, Hebrews 9 tells us, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and everything used in the tabernacle and its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is the price demanded for the payment of our sins. Jesus' shed blood. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Eternal life through the shed blood of Christ. Because Jesus overcame death and rose again, we can also be resurrected with him and live eternally. If we believe. If we believe. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. In this anxiety-filled world, when you begin to wonder if God exists, if he's really there, if he really cares, return to the testimony of Jesus. Examine once again what Jesus did on the cross. Recall how he overcame sin and death and freed us from the slavery of sin and of fear. The final question. Do you have the Son? Do you have the Son? Because if you don't have the Son, then you're not really living. You're merely existing. And then how is it that we can continue to abide in Christ? Well, by obeying his commands, by living in victory, by continually, continually believing in the testimony of Christ. This weekend, we can sign our own declaration, not of independence, but of dependence. Our declaration of dependence on the one and only true Son of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word that draws us back to the very place that we need to be, in the shadow of the cross. Lord, thank you for rescuing us and delivering us from our sin and delivering us from death, helping us to have victory, Lord, in a world of anxiety and even sometimes defeat. Lord, we ask that you would bring us back to that place, help us to abide in your testimony. Help us to come back to you time and time again when there's doubt, when there's fear, when there's anxiety. And lay it all at your feet. Lay it all at the cross. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue worshiping the Lord together. And so if you had a little bit of time to fill out that welcome card, you can tear it off and put it in the bag as it comes by. The ushers are going to come forward and the worship team is going to lead us in a closing prayer.